Good morning. I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. Sherman Center is the uh, historic location, center of town of Sherman. Um, <clears throat> and we're just north of Random Lake, so we have a Random Lake address. And I'm broadcasting today from Random Lake, just right on the lake. Uh, well, block, not even a block away. All right. I don't know, 300 feet, something like that. Um, today, Saturday, uh, we take a just a hiatus as we do each Saturday from our regular um, sequential readings, and we consider tomorrow's Old Testament and Epistle reading. And the reading for that, a reason for that, is that I almost always typically preach on the Gospel text in particular. Although, uh, depending on how interrelated the texts are, sometimes you'll hear reference to the other texts as well. And uh, but they're worthy of our study and our consideration. And this way, we're kind of uh, taking the place of the old service of matins and vespers um, for the Sabbath. So uh, it used to be that you would hear the uh, you would hear the epistle reading, uh, perhaps preached on at the matin service before divine service, and then uh, after catechesis and a meal and um, some fellowship time, then you would gather together for vespers, and there you would hear um, the Old Testament reading again and hear it preached upon. So. Uh, we're replicating that a little bit uh, with our Saturday here. All right, let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. We say our memory verse one more time for this week. No one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. We say our psalm for this week, Psalm 98. O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth, break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the hills sing together, or sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. There we go. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All right. Uh, first today, we'll consider our uh, epistle reading for tomorrow, which is from Ephesians 5. For you were once darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, 
For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. All right, there ends the reading. Uh, I may may use this for a significant portion of the sermon tomorrow, <laughs> which is not yet written, but will be later today. Um, for our consideration on this text, though, I wanted to just show you how it is used to um, teach in the Lutheran Confessions our faith. And this, um, this text is used as well as other portions of Ephesians, Ephesians 4 and 2 uh, as well, um, is used in the article on free will or human powers. Um, so that the doctrine of free will or the will of man or what is the will of man is um, been a source of controversy for Lutherans since the Lutheran Reformation. And I would argue even before that, uh, Luther wrote uh, a famous treatise in response to um, Desiderius Erasmus called On the Bondage of the Will. That was in response, uh, and then Erasmus uh, wrote, yeah, that was in response to Erasmus's book. Uh, Erasmus, I think, also wrote a response as well. They went back and forth. Uh, but On the Bondage of the Will is one of Luther's capstone articles. And uh, in the Formula of Concord, which was one of the last, well, the last Lutheran confessions uh, in our Book of Concord that was authored, um, it actually refers to the bondage of the will, um, but also uses this text that we hear today to teach what we believe about free will, or rather human powers. All right, so I'm going to share some of this with you, help you understand that text. Against, uh, well, I actually should back up a little bit. Status of the controversy. A division about free will has arisen not only between the papists and us, that's Roman Catholics and us, but also among some theologians of the Augsburg Confession themselves. Therefore, we will, first of all, show exactly the points in controversy. Right? This is always a good practice. So define your terms, define the controversy, um, and then deal with it on, those mer- on the merits of, uh, of the facts. Right? All right, so mankind's free will is found and can be considered in four unique conditions. The question now is not what the condition of mankind was before the fall, that is, in the garden, or what he is able to do in outward things, that is, uh, which apply to the earthly life since the fall and before his conversion. Also, the question is not uh, what sort of free will he will have in spiritual things after he has been regenerated and is controlled by God's Spirit, or when he rises from the dead. The chief question is only this and this alone. What is the intellect and will of the unregenerate person able to do in his conversion and regeneration from his own powers remaining after the fall? Is he able, when God's word is preached and God's grace is offered, to prepare himself for grace, accept the same, and agree with it? This is the question about which there has been controversy among some theologians in the churches of the Augsburg Confession for quite a number of years now. All right, so Augsburg Confessions, 1530. This was finally, uh, I think, published in 1578. So uh, 
do your math there. 48 years. All right. One side held and taught that a person cannot from his own powers fulfill God's command or truly trust in God or fear and love him without the Holy Spirit's grace. Nevertheless, a person still has enough of his um, natural powers left before regeneration that he is able to prepare himself to a certain extent for grace and to agree, although weakly. However, he cannot accomplish anything by these powers, but he must give up in the struggle if the Holy Spirit's grace is not added. Both the ancient and modern enthusiasts have taught that God converts people and leads them to the saving knowledge of Christ through his Spirit, without any created means and instrument. In other words, without the outward preaching and hearing of God's word. Right? So one side says um, that you cannot, with your own powers, fulfill God's command or truly trust in him, fear and love him, without the Holy Spirit, or without the Holy Spirit's grace. Although there is some capacity, natural power left, um, after the fall into sin, to, to a certain extent to prepare or to agree weekly. Um, then I would just give you a note about this, that um, uh, this is the, the domain of what's called Christian apologetics, um, this preparation. Um, it isn't saving faith, um, but you can, to a certain degree, defend the uh, truthfulness, if you like, um, at least in an in a earthly sense, in a historic sense, of, say, the gospel accounts. You know, are they eyewitness testimony? Are they trustworthy, um, like, say, for example, in the court of law or in a historic sense? Um, and there's all sorts of proofs to, to do that, right? Does that make one believe that Jesus died for, that, for you and that you <laughs> are forgiven freely in Jesus' name? No. But uh, I, I listened to a podcast that's done by a, a faithful Jew, and people acknowledge that Jesus walked and talked upon the earth and that he said the things that he said. He doesn't acknowledge that he saved him from his sins, right? All right, so not saving faith, but certainly um, historic proof. And, and that's a good exercise. Um, or uh, you can do the same thing with the Old Testament to some degree, all right? And uh, archaeology would be another example of this as well. All right, um, but that's not saving faith. That requires the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, there's the other side, which says you don't need the word of God at all. <laughs> the Holy Spirit just gives faith to whom he will without the word. All right. Against both these parties, the pure teachers of the Augsburg Confession have taught, all right, so here's our position, have taught and argued the following. By the fall of our first parents, mankind was so corrupted that in divine things having to do with our conversion and the salvation of our souls, we are by nature blind, all right, incapable of seeing. When God's word is preached, a person does not and cannot understand God's word but regards it as foolishness, 1 Corinthians 2. Also, he does not draw near to God on his own. He is and remains God's enemy until he is converted, becomes a believer, is endowed with faith, and is regenerated and renewed, Romans 5. This happens by the Holy Spirit's power through the word when it is preached and heard out of pure grace without any cooperation of his own, of your own, Titus 3. All right. In order to explain this controversy in a Christian way, according to the guidance of God's word, and to decide it by his grace, our doctrine, faith, and confession are as follows. In spiritual and divine things, the unregenerate person's intellect, heart, and will are utterly unable by his natural powers to understand, believe, accept, think, will, begin, affect, do, work, or concur in working anything. They are entirely dead to what is good. Ephesians 2. They are corrupt. 
So in mankind's nature since the fall before regeneration, that's regeneration, by the way, is baptism. That's what happens in baptism. There is not the least spark of spiritual power remaining or present. Right? Now that's the ancient papist error, right? Is that it only takes a spark to get the fire going. And uh, so you've got this kindling that's there, and then all it takes is the Holy Spirit to just start it. And then you have the capacity to take it from there on out. No. Or the opposite is also true. That you have the spark, and all he has to do is whip it into a flame. Also not true. According to the scripture, anyway. No person can prepare himself for God's grace or accept the grace God offers. A person is not capable of grace for and of himself. He cannot apply or accommodate himself to it. By his own powers, he is unable to aid, do, work, or agree in working anything toward his conversion. He cannot do this fully, halfway, or even in part, not even in the smallest or the most trivial part. <laughs> Lots of exclusive particles here. Only, not halfway. Not smallest, not trivial, not in any way, right? Uh, he is sin's servant, John 8, and the devil's captive by whom he is moved, Ephesians 2 and 2 Timothy 2. Therefore, the natural free will, according to uh, its perverted disposition and nature, is strong and active only to do what is displeasing and contrary to God, Genesis 6. All right, so that's before the flood. Uh, now, I know this doesn't make anybody happy, all right? But this is why um, we don't wait to baptize. We don't wait um, to give to our children or to a loved one or to uh, a friend, someone who says, I'd like to know more about this, Jesus, say, be baptized. All right? Why? Because baptism works faith. It's the means by which the Holy Spirit works faith through the word and the water. Um, and he regenerates the person and grants faith to trust in that word, in the water, as we say in the catechism. All right. Um, I want to skip ahead a little bit. Because we want to talk about um, specifically our epistle text then. And, and this is how it uses it. The scriptures flatly call natural man in spiritual and divine things darkness. Right? The scriptures flatly call the natural man, that is man born in sin, apart from the working of the Holy Spirit, in all things spiritual and divine, darkness. John 1, 5 says the light shines in the darkness, that is, in the dark blind world which does not know and regard God and the darkness has not overcome it. Likewise, the scriptures teach that a sinful person is not only weak and sick, but also finished and entirely dead. Ephesians 2. Now, a person who is physically dead cannot, from his own powers, prepare or make himself come back to life again. So the person who is spiritually dead in sins cannot by his own reason, or by his own strength, make or apply himself to acquire spiritual and heavenly righteousness and life. This is true unless he is delivered and brought to life by God's Son from the death of sin. The scriptures deny to the intellect, heart, or will of natural man all readiness, skill, capacity, and ability to think, to understand, to begin to do, to begin to will, to undertake, to act, to work, or to agree to work anything good and right in spiritual things for himself. All right. Um, so before we leave off on this, just as a note here, uh, we're very careful to say in spiritual things. Is there such a thing as a righteous pagan, an unbeliever, who is righteous, who does well? Of course, according to God's law. Right? Um, is that saving faith? No. Is that a spiritual thing? No. All right? Is that going, um, is that faith in Jesus? No. All right? So we make that distinction. Uh, and then there's quite a bit more you can read and say. All right? So I'll leave that off here. And... Uh, 
It also gets into the active and passive uh, capacity of the will, uh, which we talked about in Hebrews, our Hebrew study on, on uh, Wednesday night. So the form of Concord is really quite lovely. It's dense, um, but I think it's, it's easily comprehensible if you take the time to work through it. So uh, maybe someday we'll do that. I mean, you could spend, we could probably spend half a year just talking about the doctrine of free will. All right. And then uh, our Old Testament reading is from Isaiah chapter 65. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing, and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die one hundred years old, and the sinner being one hundred years old shall be accursed. But they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall the days of my people. So shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. It shall come to pass that before they answer, I will, or before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox. The dust shall be, and dust shall be the serpent's food. And they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. All right. Um, you can actually see um, the connection now that we've uh, considered the doctrine of free will and spiritual darkness. You can see right there in verse 24, it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. That while they're yet dead in sin and trespasses, Christ saves them, right? I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. Um, so I'd like to actually share with you what Luther has to say about this. And I think he has a lovely exposition on these, these last couple of verses here. I mean, obviously there's so much that we could say. Such a dense passage. All right, so um, this is from uh, Luther's Works, Volume Seventeen. So this is um, Isaiah sixty-five, verse twenty-three. I'm trying to remember when he preached this. Hold on, let's look here. Um, beginning in fifteen twenty-seven, it interrupted at least twice until the plague in fifteen twenty-nine. Uh, finally, they were brought to a close in fifteen thirty. So. Between 1527 and 1530, he lectured on Isaiah. That's where this comes from. All right. So 65, verse 23. Uh, no, not 64, verse 12. 65, verse 20. There we go. All right. They shall not labor in vain. Uh, let's do verse 24. Before they call, I will answer. Before they call, I will answer. Luther says, this is a lovely promise. I will answer before they call. In what way? This promise is extremely necessary for strengthening our hearts and inciting, inciting them to pray. John explains this passage, uh, that's John 15, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. We know what promises we have if only we would pray. Here you see the power of prayer of the godly. We must know in the first place that we must remain with the word. 
In this life, our old skin always smacks of the nature of its origin. In this life, our old skin always smacks of its nature, of the nature of its origin. The wine takes on the taste of the barrel. Therefore, it must be cleaned out. Our life, however, is set firmly on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, so that in these remains we can always say, quote, I am a child and an heir of God. We can say this not because of ourselves, but because of the most far-reaching promises, for the sake of which we are certain that we shall be heard. In the presence of God, our prayers are regarded in such a way that they are answered before we call. I wish that this promise were made use of to its utmost extent by, by all in all kinds of dangers, because we are subject to the world, the papacy, the Turk, and to tyrants. For that reason, in our prayer for the alleviation of our infirmities, it is especially necessary that we pray, quote, Help, O Lord, because we have too much labor. We have too many forces against us, popes, tyrants, and Turks. End quote. In this state of despair, we must cry to God, if not with our voice, then at least with our mouth. The prayer of the righteous man is answered before it is finished, before they begin to formulate, when they are still speaking in general, as elsewhere, quote, Thou hast given him his heart's desire. Psalm 21. So God heard Moses, groaning and laboring in the anguish of his heart. He heard the groan and sob of his heart. Then he struck the sea. So Bernard says to his brothers, quote, Do not despise prayers, and know that as soon as you, have ra- as you will have raised your voices, they are written in heaven, and it will come to pass, and it will be given to you. If it is not given, then it is not good for you and God will give you something in its place that is better and more useful. You've probably heard that quote before from Bernard, right? Maybe read it again. Um, Do not despise prayers and know that as soon as you have raised, you will have raised your voices, they are written in heaven, and it will come to pass and it will be given you. If it is not given, then it is not good for you, and God will give you something in its place that is better and more useful, right? So you pray for a Cadillac and he gives you a Ferrari instead. No, (laughs) that's a joke. All right. This statement of Bernard comes from the Holy Spirit. Thus, when I pray for Zwingli, who is an enemy of Luther, or someone else, God will answer my prayer on a far higher level than I have in mind. Thus, if I pray, I am anticipating a great thing in my prayer. Quote, Lord, hallowed be thy name. Destroy the papacy, the Turk, and the ungodly. End quote. And then he will come to destroy them more fully than we pray, namely, on the last day. Summary. Our prayer pleases God because he has commanded it, made promises, and given form to our prayer. For that reason, he is pleased with our prayer. He requires it and delights in it because he promises, commands, and shapes it. Therefore, only the prayer of the godly is a prayer for the sake of God's excellent promises, since we know that they are acceptable and pleasing. But the prayer of the ungodly is sin. God cannot get enough of the prayers of the godly. Therefore, the prayer of the godly is likened to the most attractive odor which one cannot smell enough, right? The sweet-smelling incense. Then he says, quote, I will hear. It is not only guaranteed, but it is actually already obtained. Even if a prince should hear me, there would be this difference that we might not receive anything. But when the godly pray, it is already guaranteed in heaven and on earth. Therefore, we must bring our prayer to, to a close with Amen. So it is done. If, however, God acts differently, you know that it will come, and God acts differently in order to exercise our faith. Summary, our prayer is nothing but yea, yea, amen, amen. 
let this text be commended to us. Oh, I'd love to read the bit about the lion and the lamb, but so be it. So you get the idea. Um, this is exactly what Luther does in his explanation to the petitions of the Lord's Prayer, which we've been uh, studying with the third and fourth grade, fifth grade, those in catechesis, uh, that you remember the explanations. Um, say, for example, give us this day our daily bread. God certainly gives daily bread to everyone, even to all evil people, even, you know, even to, without our prayers, even to all evil people, right? Uh, but we pray in this petition that he would lead us to realize this and to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving, right? So the problem isn't that he's going to give you daily bread or deliver you from evil or temptation. The problem is you don't believe it, right? So that's why he loves to hear you pray to him according to his promises, as Luther says here. And I, I wonder if it isn't his lecturing on this text that led him then um, to those explanations in the small catechism. No, those came earlier. Those are 1522. All right, so he's reflecting on what he said back in the catechism as well. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are still speaking, I will hear. I will do it. Beautiful, right? All right. Speaking of free will, <laughs> let's confess the third article to the Apostles' Creed. What does this mean? I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way, he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. In this Christian church, he daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers. On the last day, he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true. We pray. O Holy Spirit, we cannot by our own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ our Lord or come to him. Call us to faith in Jesus by the gospel. Enlighten us every day with your gifts of baptism, absolution, and the Lord's Supper. And sanctify and keep us and the whole Christian church on earth with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. Forgive us our sins every day and give us the blessed hope of the resurrection to eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. On the Saturday, we pray for faithfulness to the end, for the renewal of those who are withering in the faith or have fallen away, for pastors as they prepare to administer Christ's holy gifts, and for receptive hearts and minds on the Lord's day. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. I pray for all our first responders, doctors, nurses, and those who work in nursing homes and hospitals. We should include in our prayers as well those scientists and others um, who are studying the uh, coronavirus as well as its treatment and that they would be given skill and wisdom um, so that we would receive respite from its spread. We also pray for an end to all fear, to, anx uh, to all fear, anxious thoughts and constant worry. Pray for deliverance from all tyrannical, authoritarian and dictatorial rule, from those who would restrict or censor our faith those who would uh, take away from us our rights to speech, to press, to assembly and protest. On November 21st today, we pray in Thanksgiving with Gary, who celebrates his birthday, and Van, who celebrates his baptism. Noel and Reagan, who continue to rejoice in the gift of their good confession of faith. I'm going to include one more here. Excuse me. 
We also pray uh, for all those who are ill, uh, recovering, or receiving treatment, including Marcella, Jan, Kelsey, Ron, Marlene, Brad, Janet, and Timothy, Susan and Ken Wentland, who uh, were diagnosed with COVID-19, Pastor Lindau, Sandy, Linda, Joan, Ken, Roger, and Penny, who broke her arm yesterday at school, one of our teachers. Pray for the family and friends of Steve Siebenaller, who grieve his death, especially Ruth. Our homebound, Bev, David, Willis, and Janice, and Mickey. Our mission of the month, Becca DeLoach, and the work of the Sheboygan County Hispanic Outreach. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Pray the collect for this week. O Lord, absolve your people from their offenses, that from the bonds of our sins, which by reason of our frailty we have brought upon ourselves, we may be delivered by your bountiful goodness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give to us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my Heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, we sing our hymn one more time this week. Fearfully, wondrously made you 
Help has bestowed, and when heedlessly falling, has stayed you. What deed or grief ever has failed of relief? Wings of his mercy did shade you. Praise to the Lord who will prosper your work and defend you. Surely his goodness and mercy shall daily attend you. Under what the Almighty can do, as with his love he befriends you. Praise to the Lord, O oh, let all that is in me adore him. Let as life and breath come now with praises before him. Let the Amen sound from his people again, gladly forever adore him. All right, that concludes our Congregation of Prayer for today. November 21st, 2020. Again, that was all to help you prepare for tomorrow. So uh, if you're joining us late, go back and uh, listen. You can hear about free will and what uh, the power of prayer. I don't know. I can't spend all those themes together, but we'll do our best. Uh, I think it's going to be more light and darkness is my plan right now. At least my outline is. And we'll see if that works out. All right. So uh, Lord be with you all. And uh, oh, uh, a note. Uh, we're still waiting for the... Uh, changes to be made to our internet service that'll be done next week uh, sometime hopefully before thursday but uh, maybe not until friday and uh, so I'm, I'm i can't guarantee you how well it will stream in the morning um, although i think they made some improvements already um, that seem to hopefully make it at least watchable all right so um, if not uh, watch it live in the morning you can oh, i can upload it and you can watch it on delay later in the day so lord be with you all and we'll see you again soon